0: Not this shit again. You've got to be kidding me.
1: Dance monkey, dance!
0: Shellshock can kiss my ass.
1: I should just charge you to have to ride in the car and just suck ideas off my brain. So I'm constantly going, no, no, stop that, put that down, don't touch that, take that out of your mouth. We're for real this time.
0: You yes. ready? For real? Yes. Alright, here we go. Today is Monday, September 29th, 2014, and this is episode 86 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as usual, is Mr. Andrew Kellett.
1: Good evening, Jerry. I'm glad we survived DerbyCon.
0: We did. That was a, That was a blast. It I,
1: was. I, it was a good time. I'm sure we'll talk about it in general, but... Yeah, highly recommended. Go to Derekon next year. That's all I can tell you.
0: Buy your tickets early, by the way. And book and your book your room early. It's it's uh you know, it's a nicer experience when you're actually in the in the hotel, I suspect. I don't know.
1: I, I will counter that slightly. I okay. wasn't kept awake by the party.
0: Well that's a good point. Uh, just so uh, I guess just so the listeners have that context. Uh on Saturday night I went to bed about one thirty in the morning and uh, I Put my earplugs in. I was five floors up on the other side of the hotel, and I could still hear the music quite loudly. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a quite a quite a party. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, by the way, uh, you know, I have to say there were there were a fair number of uh, defensive security listeners there. So it was uh, it was really great to be able to spend some time at the bar with. Uh, with all of them and uh to all of those of you who were there thank you very much it was great meeting you hopefully we get to meet again
1: yeah absolutely that was awesome that made uh derby even that much cooler to meet folks who uh listen to the show and uh were cool people in general to hang out and talk to and we had an excuse to meet which was all- an awesome side effect of the podcast
0: yeah definitely and then uh and then you know, we had the surprise three-way with uh Secure a bit and down the rabbit hole.
1: Yeah, you know, those surprise three ways just sneak right up on you. Every time. But we did. Um, We got invited to participate, and hopefully you'll hear it at some point in the near future. And, you know, listen to four podcasters try to not step on each other with microphones. (laughs)
0: was it was, uh, was really cool. I, I uh I it liked was. I like doing that a lot. That was uh that was a lot of fun. Hopefully Yeah, and I
1: was I was flattered and honored to be asked to join. So that uh, was
0: me nice. too. Me too. So thank you for uh thank you to Raf and to uh Chris for inviting us. That was nice. And and I should say they actually invited you. I was just the awkward tag along, so but hey, I, what can I say?
1: I wasn't gonna point that out.
0: I know, I know. That's why I'm here, you know. I'm honest.
1: Uh, so hey, there's been a wee bit of news.
0: Yeah, last last we recorded. That is for sure. So of course we're talking about shell shock.
1: Um, and you may note that Jerry sounds a little more tired than usual. It has. We- <sighs> yes, it has been a very long day for me. Yes, and we got back from recon relatively late last night, and you know the world was imploding. So. We apologize if Renata's up and, you know, peppy, as usual.
0: And, yeah, and, we, and it continues to implode. So so uh, I suspect most people understand what Shellshock is, but I'll just get a, give a little bit of a, a background here, right? So this looks and feels a whole lot like Heartbleed from about, uh, I guess it was almost six months ago now. Uh, in In the respect that it is a very prolific uh, vulnerability or I should say it's a vulnerability in a very prolific piece of software Uh, and we're going to be dealing with this for a while and I think that's the you know one of the key points for me and not only are we going to be dealing with it for a while we're going to have to keep probably revisiting it as we learn more or this as uh, the the industry learns more about this. So so here's the deal. Bash as hopefully most people know is a shell. Uh, it's a Unix-like shell or a shell that's commonly used on Unix systems like Linux and and uh, other flavors and in the in, in certain contexts it it's possible to pass it some uh specially crafted code in the form of environment variables and those environment variables end up getting executed as actual commands right so that's not the actual intention that's not what's normally supposed to happen but that's the net of what happens in this uh in this shell shock attack the primary way this is manifesting itself is on web servers and it's not all web servers. It's a relatively narrow, potentially relatively narrow set that use CGI. So as opposed to the uh, you know like uh, let's say PHP uh, or even modPerl, right? This is a, this is a situation where you you have a you know you have a standalone executable script or binary that the web server is making a call to. And what what happens is that the the client, the web browser, is essentially passing uh, a series of you know, HTTP parameters, and those parameters could be the cookies, they could be post parameters, get parameters, you know, lots of different uh, lots of different things. Actually, anything, any uh, parameter that can be passed from the browser into the web server uh, can be stuffed with this. Especially formatted code, and what happens is in the in the processing of that request, it uh, the web server passes those para- HTTP parameters to Bash as uh, you know, environment variables, which then get executed, and they allow a bad you know <laughs> they allow our uh, our our friendly attacker to run whatever the heck they want on your server
1: uh with very little footprint.
0: Yes, it's it's uh kind of difficult to actually tell. Really all you're going to see in your web server logs is a call to, you know, let's say the CGI bin uh generally the par- the the parameters are not passed. So that's uh into the logs I should say. So that's a that's a pretty difficult thing. And again, it kind of smacks of uh heartbleed where we didn't see logs there either. The big difference here is that now you unlike with Heartbleed which was just a you know read only kind of exploit now this gives attackers a footprint on your system
1: so they can pretty much execute any command that the in essence probably the web daemon is running as whatever permission level probably uh, user space most likely i mean if you're running yep. your web server as root wow that's bad uh b- but i guess that's possible you could be doing that uh so since the web server is invoking bash it's running at whatever permission level the web server is running at uh and we're also seeing other ways other vectors as well so but if we stick with the web vector for a moment anybody who's got cgi bin apparently, uh, is the primary vector we're hitting right now. And we're seeing all sorts of really, really, really clever payloads already starting to emerge. Everything from reverse shells, uh, automatic uh, automated click fraud, uh, huge DDoS botnets, um, you name it. We're seeing all sorts of stuff now. It's really up to uh, the imagination of somebody who can throw something on a command line of a Unix box, via this uh, this vector.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So go, just kind of carrying on what you were saying about some other uh, attack vectors here. So one of them that has been getting a lot of press recently is DHCP on Linux. And so the, th- this is actually a little scary for those of you who run Linux on the workstation uh, and, and ha- you happen to have a vulnerable version of Bash running. Essentially, what happens is DHCP gives you, uh, gives DHCP servers, the DHCP client gives DHCP servers the ability to pass, uh, different parameters, which again get interpreted as uh, environment variables into, you know, processed by bash, again, allowing a DHCP server to run arbitrary commands. And the reason this is particularly concerning is that number one DHCP, the DHCP client is usually running at a very high permission uh, sometimes even root probably often root and it is uh, it's, it's really trivial for an attacker to you know to launch so let's you know th- think about the case of the coffee shop right so I'm a bad person I can set up my uh, rogue wireless access point that looks an awful lot like Starbucks and you connect to my Wi-fi with your Linux workstation. I hand you an IP address with some uh, you know some malformed parameters, and now I have you know essentially root access to your Linux system, which is totally awesome the other uh, the other one that's been discussed a lot is SSH. This is not quite as um, bad as other ones. So SSH allows you, as an administrator to uh, to configure a set of commands that someone who logs in can uh, is restricted to there's this parameter called force command in the sshd.com file and this this bug essentially allows someone who otherwise has the ability to log in so they have a username and password to to sshn this allows them if effectively to escape that they can they can bypass the limitation on what commands they can run, so you know it's certainly not great, but it's not as bad as, as some of the others. So, uh, as you mentioned, there, there's a there's a fair number of things that are being done with it now. Um, I have got some ideas for other things that I I foresee. I start. I tried to come up with ten, but I couldn't get there. But so I'll just give you the seven that I got. So uh, I think. One thing I expect to see is mass watering hole attacks. So given that this affects web servers, uh, most likely we will—I think—we're going to see web server, you know, web servers being compromised and including malicious iframe redirects to exploit kits. I think we will probably see database dumps, kind of like eBay and, and others, you know, where where they're dropping the uh, whatever's in. In the database that the web application is is talking to, because now these attackers most likely have access to the code, which probably has access to the uh, uh, you know the user ID and the database connection uh, and whatnot. So so that's that's another um, altering the web application to you know to inject some custom logic, like let's say stealing credit cards. So if you've got an e-commerce site, I could potentially i spent enough time i could alter the content of your application to uh you know to make a copy of credit cards being processed and send them to me uh hijacking accounts my favorite the favorite one i, I came up with was bitcoin mining nice uh and then uh web defa you know mass think think mass web defacements right you could put, you could conceivably write a script uh, not you necessarily, but some random bad person could write. Are you saying, are you saying I couldn't? I'm saying, saying that you wouldn't I, because I you're your a nice, the skills? No, because you're a nice person.
1: Mm, okay. Carry on.
0: And, uh, you know, so, so anyway, bad person could conceivably write a script that would go out and, and essentially perform mass defacements of websites. So if it, if it can find a way in, you know, it, uh, it defaces the website. And the other one I, f- I thought of, which, which would be really bad, and uh, I hope I'm not giving people ideas, but think about crypto lockered website <laughs> crypto locker the content on a, wow. on a website yeah, that's kind of
1: evil well, so you'd have to drop a dropper on it which is trivial you then have to escalate privilege most likely
0: well it, maybe dep- if it's
1: you it know depends on what you it depends on what, I guess, the CGI bin or the web server is running at what permission level and what files it could get to um, yep. as a result. That's right. Um, yeah, that's that, – they're all st- – I, I personally think we'll just see a lot more botnets and DDoS and spammers. And- I, I think Bitcoin money. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to do some Bitcoin references.
0: Well, you know. Apparently that's the thing to talk about.
1: uh, So the bottom line is this is uh, nasty, and nobody saw it coming.
0: Yeah, and you know, so I've been thinking about what this means, and one of the you know one of the things that that struck me is this particular uh, exploit takes us back to the need to get you know to really work on local system security and i really think that's i don't want to say it's a lost art but i think it's certainly a dying art right you know intra system security you know getting down getting in there and and really locking things down because you know again we're i think we're starting to think about uh you know this the server itself as the you know the boundary and you don't let people in who don't deserve to get in and so you you're you're not necessarily prioritizing privilege escalation vulnerabilities real highly and uh, you know or or looking at opportunities for weak configurations let's say world writable scripts that run as a as a root or uh, you know things like that that would give an attacker who has the ability to get a presence on your system uh, you know r- relatively easy ways to elevate their access not that It's great if they are able to get on your system, even if you have all those mitigations in place. But, you know, at least you, I think there's a, I think this kind of highlights the need for that, that kind of discipline. Um,
1: yeah, I would agree. So let's talk about mitigating this. And then what can we do to not get blindsided by these sorts of favorite word coming, black swan events in the future, do you think?
0: (laughs) Oh, Black swan, black swan.
1: (laughs) So from a response standpoint, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. The problem is bash is everywhere. And we're still discovering ways to exploit this. So researchers are going crazy looking at this. We have found now, as far as I know, a total of four big bugs in Bash beyond just this initial one. We have issued a number of subsequent patches that the initial patch didn't even fix this properly. Then more problems were found and more patches were released. And that may still continue. We are finally getting the many eyes looking at this code that we were always promised with open source. Yes, that was snarky. So obviously we need to patch. Granted, that's an easy one. However, one thing that happened with this and Heartbleed is what if you can't patch yet? What if your vendor hasn't supplied you with a patch yet or whatever reason? And in our long, boring drive back from DerbyCon in our half vegetative state, we came up with some ideas and did some research. And you summarize some of these in a blog post today. Uh, do you want to kind of run down some of those yeah so so I was thinking uh
0: at a very high level when when things like this come up you 've only got a couple of basic things you can do right You can accept the risk you know of continuing to operate as is until you get a patch because ultimately that's one of the big problems right with with this is we don't have a patch, or at least we're pretty confident that we don't have a patch that completely covers it. So we can accept the risk that we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna live with it and deal with whatever happens. We can go the opposite way and just disconnect it. Right? And then, uh, the third one is something else, something in the middle. And, uh, you know, there's kind of an infinite, uh, variety or, or, or continuum of things that you can do Uh, in that spectrum. And I think that's probably where most people are really going to be focusing. And and it occurred to me that whatever you're going to do in that third case requires some intelligence to really understand what you've got going on in your environment and to be able to figure out what the most logical thing to do is. And so some of the ideas we were kicking around and like, you know, you, you brought up the Mod security rules. You know, let, let's look at what Apache can do. Can it, is there something that you can do with Apache? And, and, uh... Yeah, at,
1: at a very fundamental level, we were kicking around, okay, if the problem is bash and we can't fix bash, what's passing the commands to bash? And can we look at that? Right. Right? And and we found, uh, in, in or you found, that, yeah, actually, Apache issued a bunch of stuff. So, you know, kind of the thought process behind that is just to give the 10,000-foot overview is, if we can't fix bash yet, what is wrapping around this that we can fix in this case? So going back to DHCP, maybe if bash is still broken, maybe, and I don't know what there is, maybe there's a patch for the DHCP client on Linux that prevents these parameters from flowing through. So we have to get a little creative, right? And think about how can we mitigate from other angles? Yep.
0: Or, or switch to a different shell if that's possible. You know, that's, and I think, I think these are going to be Possible to different degrees, based on again the the specific implementations that you that you have, because not everybody's going to have the ability to do all these things. Right, but you know, again, it take it's going to take someone with some intelligence to evaluate. You know, what is your risk? What kinds of control opportunities do you have to implement? Another one we came up with was IPS and WAF. You know that those we we know that we have most. IPS vendors are running around with their flags up saying, "Oh my gosh, we protected this for the last 15 years or whatever." Uh and then, you know, I I I suppose WAF is a similar kind of thing. I don't think they're making those kinds of incredible claims, but uh you know, it's it, again, it's an opportunity to uh you know t- to leverage some of your other infrastructure to help uh to help protect. I, again, I am not a big fan of relying on those things as as primary methods of control but if you got nothing else if you got no other choice
1: well you're in a reaction mode at this point right you're just trying to mitigate and 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 stem the damage uh, and and so this doesn't help you necessarily with the next time right we are talking about fighting the last battle at this point we we yep. acknowledge that But the concept is, look at the, don't get blinded by, you just have to wait for a patch. Look at the other tools in your environment that are also examining the same or handling the same traffic and see if you can limit this. Now, the challenge is with this particular one is the environment variables and parameters that you can throw into this can be incredibly variable, so no pun intended. So it's not like it's a single easy signature to write. You're almost doing a bounds checking signature uh, if you're looking at a WAF or you're looking at an IPS rule or, or you know something like that. So that's a tough one, right? You got to be careful there, and you got to make sure that you're not dropping any legitimate traffic or hey you might decide it's okay to drop that legitimate traffic in your environment to stop this attack uh you know going back to apache just to be thorough there was a bunch of stuff apache put out you should go do some research on apache if you got that they had ip table rules they had mod security rules they had all sorts of stuff to mitigate this from apache so good on them you know the other thing that occurs to me is you really need somebody who A, isn't dogged down responding to tickets on this, but who can architecturally look at the big picture, understand all this traffic flow, understand this data flow, have enough working knowledge of all these different pieces and how they work together to understand effective mitigations. And I think that that is actually a relatively tough thing to find for a lot of organizations uh, with all that background and knowledge and skill set, right? This isn't somebody... This is now where we start to get the difference between people who understand security and understand networking and understand data flow, and separate them from the folks who understand technically how to run security products.
0: I think yeah. that's a, I think that's uh, very well said. And you know, I, I think the other the other item I wanted to point out, and this was also a part of the uh, the thing I wrote up wrote up was there's a big difference between patch management and vulnerability management, and I think a lot of people a lot of organizations do patch management and essentially kind of wring their hands when there isn't a patch available. And so I think there's a lot of uh, hand wringing right now going on because we don't generally have the capability that you described to do the vulnerability management. And and by the way, another another thing that is really bothering me is not everything that has Bash... Is exploitable it might all be vulnerable bash on every, all those systems may very well be vulnerable right you can log in and run the little one-line command and sure enough you'll see that it's vulnerable but not every system is exploitable because it doesn't run DHCP it doesn't run a web server in CGI bin mode Those are kind of nuanced things, but they're important. If you have a large estate of systems that have to be addressed, this can be an important point to help you prioritize what needs to be done. And I think prioritization is also generally a very important thing. You know, this very much like Heartbleed is primarily, except for again the the DHCP consideration, is very much an internet. The the primary threat is going to be coming in from the internet. You know, certainly it can emanate from internal inside your network, but the you know every every uh, script kitty and their dog is going to be hammering your web server right now with this thing. So that's where that's where a lot of the traffic is going to be coming from. That's where you should probably be be focusing your your effort right now.
1: I think that's fair. So do we want to tackle How would you handle this in the future? How how do we learn from this to get ready for the next unforeseen, unpredictable mass vulnerability, which I am calling trench foot for the record?
0: (laughs) Just just uh keep keeping on with the World War One references, right? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well you just gotta get out there. You gotta you gotta keep hitting refresh on Twitter. So when you (laughs) when you see it you can just start, you know This is called trench foot. Because uh. apparently I don't know if you've noticed, but there are people out there fighting over who named this thing. So but anyhow, well, that's a that's you, totally
1: You heard it here first for whatever the future C V E is. <laughs> it's trench foot. Great. For this completely un unknown an unforecasted mass vulnerability that will happen at some point between now and, I'm going to say, two years from now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm calling it right here. Great. All right. Anyway.
0: Anyhow, um, it's, it's, it's difficult to talk about things in the abstract, but if you kind of extrapolate from what we've seen in Heartbleed and now This – uh, you know, there are, there probably are some commonalities, and I'm going to be shooting from the hip here. I haven't spent a ton of time thinking about this, but, you know, certainly thinking about what kind of monitoring capability do you need to be able to identify if a system has been compromised quickly. And I know we talk about this to death in the context of other things and other stories but i think this kind of goes back to the central theme that you can't stop everything and so you really failing everything else you need to know when your system has been compromised and you need to be able to detect that that, that that's happened really quickly so that i think uh you know i think this this just goes you know it's another it's another uh, log on the fire for that um another another point i would say is to build your environment in a defendable manner you know having having the opportunity to have different kinds of control points whether it's a waf or an ips you know they're not always going to be useful but sometimes they will be and being able to you know to to step in and use those in a in an effective way is you know that's that's an important thing uh i you know, in, in the article I wrote, I think it's really important to have someone or some people on your staff who are able to think clear-headedly about what's going on, what the actual risks are, and what what specific plans, given the context of what's going on, your organization should be executing on. I think that's a really important one. Again, it's not all about technology. We need we need some. Uh, we need some thought behind this. Uh, so I don't know. I, what about you?
1: Well, what I hear you're saying in the last one is separate the operational response from you know the strategic leadership thought process. Yes. Get somebody out of the fire drill so they can really take a step back and think through the problem. Yes,
0: exactly right.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with a lot of the points you made. I think the more tools you have in your tool chest that you can alter traffic or manipulate traffic, the better. The other thing that I think a lot about is having really good inventory management over everything in your environment so you know what's out there. You can assess clearly, all right, this is targeting, I don't know, uh, Windows 7 Service Pack 1 with patch XYZ and you know it's going after its ipv4 stack that would be a huge problem I, I think that's a that's an
0: excellent one and i know i think in this particular one it was it's a little easier but i think in the harpley case i know a lot of companies struggled mightily yeah to figure out where all they had open ssl because open ssl was in freaking everything you know
1: well in this case i would bet there's a lot of folks who don't even know if Bash is in, you know, in their embedded system, because we haven't really talked about embedded systems much. We've been talking about kind of full-blown, uh, built-out Linux boxes. Uh, you never know. I I would, I would project we're going to see vulnerable systems 10 years from now on this one. So, But for an enterprise, and talking about enterprise response, I think the more knowledge you have that you can grab at your fingertips about what's installed where the – better off you are and there are really good tools out there especially on the windows and mac side that do an excellent job of inventorying every single thing out there and allowing you to, to call that and report on that little tougher on the server side for linux but they're out there I, I think fundamentally we need to shift our mindset from you know we can protect ourselves with patching and protect ourselves with gear and understand that these things are going to happen again and again, and again, and come up with a way to cope with that in a way that our hair isn't on fire every single time. I don't have perfect answers to that, but I know what we're doing right now is not viable long-term.
0: Yeah, I mean, just just to expand on what you just said, because I think it's a really important point that this is, you know, we when we encountered Heartbleed, you know, I think we all called it a black swan and we had a good chuckle and had a beer and, and, and went on with our lives. But now (laughs) with this, I think we can kind of see that this is not going to be an isolated incident. And I do fully expect that this thing is going to be dogging us for a very long time, like you just mentioned. And what concerns me is that this may have opened up a new, a new frontier, right? And, and, ah, what, whatever, right? My, my point is we're, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing a lot of really clever people looking at bash now and saying, ho, oh, ho, ho, nobody else thought about exploiting the, you know, the environment variables this way. And, and so now we've seen, I think six different CVEs come out and, Hey, we might see 10 more. We have no clue what's going to be, you know, what's going to happen, but, you know, I, one of the things I wonder is if this is going to reinvigorate people, you know, researchers and bad guys even on on things that we just never conceived of before as being potential vulnerabilities. And and so now, you know, I don't think this was on anybody's radar. You know, pe- people didn't really think about, hey, I wonder about that environment variable passing between, you know, it, it, when you take a step back, it's so simple this is the kind of problem that we've been dealing with like on PHP and we you know we've had jokes about you know uh user data input problems in PHP for a long time and they you know it's that's just been a thorn in PHP's side and and uh nobody really ever conceived of bash having this kind of problem. And I've gotta believe that a whole bunch of clever people are looking around all over the place saying What else is like this? Not necessarily bash, but what else is kinda like this where we haven't really thought of this before and it's kind of a it's kind of a scary thing because we're seeing these really major problems on very pervasive pieces of technology like bash. I mean and uh I think think just to, to close out that point, we've gotta stop pretending like these are just complete one-offs. We've got to think about an effective way to handle this so that when the next one comes along, we're not making it up as we go. We're not making up our response. 100%
1: agree. And, you know, we kind of did a bit of a thought experiment of how would you design an environment and infrastructure that's completely resilient to some sort of completely unforecasted mass vulnerability and we're not coming up with a lot of good answers there is one other thing I wanted to bring up about this problem so let's say you have outsourced your server maintenance or box maintenance or whatever to a manager or provider in other words you rely on a third party to handle patching for this here's something kind of scary They're built to run at a normal load for normal days of normal amount of patching and normal amount of administration. When we have a mass issue like this, it quickly oversubscribes third parties who are doing your patch management because they're not just doing it for you. They're doing it for all their customers with a very limited staff. So that is an interesting risk that we incur when we outsource, as opposed to spreading that load of this mass event over discrete IT teams at every organization. We're centralizing that. Yep, I, I
0: think you. I think that's very well said. And I, you know, I, uh, I, I suspect at some point there's probably a counter benefit of you know now when you have that kind of team, they've you know, they've applied that by the time they get to your servers, conceivably, they've applied the patch, you know, hundreds of times. So maybe they're really good at it. Uh, but I think the, the resource problem is a really good point when, you know, when everybody on the internet is having to patch you know, at the same time, uh, that becomes a real big problem and you, you, you could definitely, uh, see, see some exposure there. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I honestly don't know what kinds of contingency plans different outsourcers might or might not have, but you know, it might be a good question to ask you know, your your outsourcer. How would you how would you handle that? Maybe they have a good answer. I don't know. But it's uh it's a it's a really it's a really great point. Thanks. And uh so I think um I think that concludes what I wanted to, to cover.
1: Yeah, we we definitely have a lot we could talk about at DerbyCon. I think we'll do that next show. Uh, and I want to review some of the videos of some of the talks I didn't get a chance to go to. But uh, this is the hot topic of the week, so maybe we'll return to normal news next week. But yeah,
0: I but in the meantime, we'll we'll I'll leave you with a little uh, a little teaser about one of the talks that both you and I liked, and that was the uh, I forget the name of it, but it was an incident response to, uh, talk by some people from GE. Yeah. And I think the links to the, to the videos are being posted right now. So I will try to put, I'll try to find the link to that video and stick it in the show notes. It's, it's really, uh, uh very well worthwhile watching. And, uh, with that, you know, we will, like, like we said, we'll, uh, we'll do more DerbyCon talk next time, but we wanted to get even in our, uh, tired, cranky state, we wanted to get something out.
1: Hey, if you're out there fighting this and you've got some good stories, we'd love to hear them. we we'll be happy to keep you anonymous, but uh, we'd love to hear some news from the trenches on shell shock. So good. drop us a line. Good point. And uh, with that, if you uh, if you
0: have any other uh, other questions or again some reports from the trenches, send us an email to info at defensivesecurity dot org. You can uh, find the show show notes and back episodes, and whatnot. On our website, www.defensivesecurity.org, you can follow the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Callet on Twitter at Lurg, me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. With that, we will catch you again next week. Take care.